episode of Motley Fool Answers is brought to you by Molecule. Molecule is reimagining the future of clean air, starting with the air purifier. For 10% off your first air purifier, visit M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E dot com and enter the promo code FOOL10 at checkout. Also, thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Motley Fool Answers. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with the hard and soft skills you're looking for, so you can hire the right person fast. Find the right person with LinkedIn Jobs. Get $50 off your first job post at linkedin.com slash fool. This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined, as always, by Bertrand Brokamp, personal <laughs> finance <laughs> expert. Bertrand is a name. Personal finance expert here at The Motley Fool. Hi, bro. Uh, hi, Allison. In this week's episode, let us you sound like you already just turned yourself to half speed. <laughs> <laughs> Our listeners didn't have to do it. You're just like, Allison. Let's do this. In this week's episode, let's get, get to work. Some. Get some. <laughs> let's get to work by talking about work and what you can do to make your work work better. Work, all that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. So, bro, what's up? Well, Allison, every year, retirement numbers kind of change a little bit here and there. What kind of retirement numbers? You know, like the max you can contribute to certain oh, accounts okay, those and Roth IRA eligibility limits and things like that. But the rules pretty much stay the same from year to year. But 2020 is going to be different. Not only have the numbers changed, including higher contribution limits for 401ks, but thanks to new legislation signed into law on December 20th, some regulations governing retirement and college savings accounts have changed. This is all thanks to the new SECURE Act of 2019. SECURE standing for... I was going to say, what's it stand for? Something set, clever. Setting every community up for retirement enhancement. Oh, I hope someone got a raise for coming up with that. <laughs> Most of the changes are good, but there are a couple that are less good, maybe even worrisome. Oh. Um, there are 29 sections to the law, so let's go through each one. Oh. Number one... <laughs> Let's read it verbatim. Here I'm we go. just kidding. We're not going through so you do. You go through them so we don't have to. <laughs> there you go. I'm just going to highlight the six biggest changes. Okay. All right. Number one, no age cap on traditional IRAs. So you can contribute to a 401k and a Roth IRA and any other employer-sponsored account as long as you are working. Used to be, though, that you could not contribute to a traditional IRA beyond age 70 and a half. Hmm. From 2020 forward, that is no longer the case. Number two, higher age for required minimum distributions. So, starting next year, the age for annual RMDs from traditional IRAs and employer plans, Roth or traditional, goes up from 70 and a half to 72. But this isn't for everyone. So, if you turn 70 and a half in 2019 or earlier, you still have to stick to the old ways. But for future folks, you don't have to start taking that money out until you are 72. It seems like such a small change like why bother yeah yeah i think that's a good point i think they're going to gradually I mean, they've not said this specifically but mm, but they have keep to moving. right because it, it's reflective of a couple of things we're living longer so people are working longer so they bumped it up also 70 and a half is just such a weird thing to figure out and i tried to do a little research of like where did that come from how did they decide on 70 and a half i couldn't find the answer but regardless it is moving up to 72 and i i there's already talk of some adjustments in terms of the tables you use to calculate your RMDs changing in 2021. So I think incrementally we'll see these things change as people get older and we live longer. Um, number three, no more stretch IRA. And this is one of the big disappointments. So if you inherited an IRA or any really tax advantage retirement account 
Um, it was also subject to RMDs regardless of your age, unless you took all the money out within five years. However, um, so that's the bad news. The good news is, though, you could stretch it out over your lifetime, um, which is why it got the name, the Stretch IRA, even though that's not a technical name. You won't find that on irs.gov. And it applies to all retirement accounts, 401ks, the TSB, all of those. However, that is changing. So any account that is inherited in 2020 or later, the account must be liquidated within 10 years. You can no longer stretch it out over your lifetime. There are some exceptions to this, or at least different ways that people have to follow this rule um, that pertain to certain groups. So these groups are qualified, disabled, or chronically ill beneficiaries, certain minor children who inherit an account, who inherit an account from their parent, not grandparent, but their parent, beneficiaries who are no more than 10 years younger than the deceased account owner, and beneficiaries who are the spouse of the deceased. So each of these exceptions has their own quirks and their own rules. I'm not going to go into all of them. Um, and it's also important to note that some government-sponsored uh, retirement plans this doesn't apply to until 2022, including the TSB, which the Congress folks are part of. So it's nice for them that they get to delay this for a couple of years. But the main point here is, if you inherit an account, you have to see a tax expert or financial planner to find out your options, because it's very complicated. Um, and another note about that is, if you inherited an account um, that's held in trust, or you were planning to leave your account to a trust, you should have those documents reviewed to make sure the terms of the trust now comply with these new rules. Hmm. Number four, annuities and 401k. So the 401k is built as a way to help people save for retirement, not necessarily to produce income in retirement. Um, but the SECURE Act is sort of taking a step in that direction by making it easier for plans to include what is called, quote unquote, a lifetime income provider. It's basically an annuity. Um, so I'm very mixed mind about this. So we've talked about in the show before about the benefits of a lifelong annuity. You know, you get that check in the mail every month for as long as you live. It, it mitigates investment risk. It mitigates longevity risk. That's all good. On the other hand, many types of annuities are very complex and expensive, and the insurance industry is just salivating over the opportunity to get some of these into 401ks. As I understand it, you actually were allowed to put annuities in 401ks, and about 9% of them do have that. But most providers didn't want to do it because they didn't want to be on the hook for putting you know, an income annuity into the 401k. That company goes belly up, and so those people then sue the company who put that, that, that annuity in the 401k. What the SECURE Act does is provide what's called a safe harbor, basically saying, if you follow these file rules, the people who participate in your 401k can't come after you and sue you. One of the reasons why annuities are good in principle, but bad in practice, is they're very high costs. And one of them, explicitly within the SECURE Act, they say you do not have to pick the lowest cost provider. This is a total stop to the insurance industry, and they lobbied very hard for this. Hmm. So my bottom line on this is if you are a 401k provider and you're going to put an annuity in your 401k, please, please, please be very careful about what you choose. If you are going to retire and you are interested in annuity, you don't have to go with the one that's in your plan. You can go out there, see what else is available, transfer that money to an IRA, and then buy the annuity there. You don't have to stick with the one that's in your 401k. Number five, expanded use of 529. So the SECURE Act allows you to use your 529 money in more ways. So you now can use them tax-free if you are going to join any certain apprenticeships, things like that. They have to be approved, they have to be approved by the Department of Labor but you have more uses to sort of have other jobs besides a traditional college. 
What's more interesting is now they're going to allow up to $10,000 to be used to pay off student loans. That's a lifetime limit for your own if you have the 529, but then it's another $10,000 limit if you want to pay off the loans of your siblings. So this is the first time you've ever been able to use 529 money to pay off loans. So that's good. And number six, boost for employers and employees. So the government is trying to encourage more employees to offer retirement plans. So they've increased the credits that are available to people to do it, but also the credits for auto-enrolling people and auto-escalating. And study after study has shown if you want to increase the participation in your 401k, automatically sign people up and automatically increase um, the amount that they contribute. In fact, you used to be able to only auto-escalate or default people into 10%. The SECURE Act now has moved that up to 15%. So hopefully, employers will actually be pushing people to save more for their retirement. And the final thing related to this is um, previously, employers were allowed to exclude anyone who did not work 1,000 hours in the course of the year. Now that is changing. Now they um, employers must include anyone who works 500 hours a year in three consecutive years. So it's going to be make it easier for part-time employees to participate. The problem is this doesn't take effect till 2021. That's also when the the three-year count starts. So if you've been working for 500 hours a year up until this point, that's not going to count. So hopefully, I mean, still it's a step in the right direction, but it's not going to take immediate effect. So that's unfortunate. And that, Allison, is what's up. Thank you. This episode of Motley Fool Answers is brought to you by Molecule. Here's a New Year's resolution for you. Stop breathing contaminated air, bro. (laughs) The American Lung Association says more than 140 million Americans are living with unhealthy air, and you don't have to be one of them. Molecule is reimagining the future of clean air, starting with the air purifier. Molecule's technology has been personally effective and verified by science, but most importantly, it's been tested by real people. Molecule has given allergy and asthma sufferers around the country an all-new experience. And how does it work? Science! Molecule's breakthrough technology doesn't just filter out pollutants and allergens, it destroys them at the molecular level. A number of fools here bought their very own molecule after giving it a whirl, and they love it. No matter the size of the room, you can choose the option that's best for your space, whether it's the Molecule Air for large rooms or the new Molecule Air Mini for smaller rooms. For 10% off your first air purifier, visit molekule.com and enter the promo code FOOL10 at checkout. That's molekule.com, promo code FOOL10. I was looking for a job and then I found a job and heaven knows I'm miserable now. My exhaustive research of 10 seconds of Google revealed that we will spend 90,000 hours of our life at work or roughly 2.3 million years in New Hampshire time. (laughs) That's a lot of life. And maybe you enjoy your job, but could it be even better? Today we're joined by the VP of People Insights here at The Motley Fool, Kara Chambers, to talk about how we can feel more fulfilled at work and what you can do to make your job better in 2020. Is that right? Better Is that what we're promising yes. in this episode? And yes. for the rest of your life. Now, Carrie, you've actually been on the show before. We had you and Lee on. Yes. I don't remember what you talked about, though, but it had to be something workplace related. Ask for a raise day. Oh, okay. Yeah, That's what it was. About. So, Kara, uh, how long have you been at The Fool? Uh, 14 years. And you do, what does a VP of People Insights do? What would you say it is you do here? What, what do I do? So, I do a little <laughs> bit of um, rewards and recognition is kind of my world um, and employee engagement. So, things that measure things and 
feelings, right? Or in so the it's a mix of both. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the other, and I got a lot of this that I'm going to talk through today as I do. Um, one of the other hats I wear is being a coach for employees, which is kind of like your guidance counselor. Um, and so that I spend a lot of time kind of one on one working with people on what they want out of their career. So that's kind of the hat I'm wearing today. Yeah. And this is not true at The Motley Fool, but uh, when you look at most companies in America, it turns out that most people are not super, what we say, engaged at work. Correct. Uh, And that's because they just might be in the wrong environment or the wrong career. Uh, or on the wrong team. And we're going to talk about a couple of things there today where you can kind of take control of where you are and take a really holistic look about where you are in your career and, and help you with that. All right. For the listeners who don't work at The Motley Fool and aren't just overwhelmingly satisfied at their job, uh, what is the first thing you should do when thinking about how to be happier at work? So at The Fool, we have a couple factors that play in, and we try to talk about all of them, which lead to your job satisfaction at work. So I'm going to go through each of these, but number one is your salary. And these are not in order. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, Second is the purpose of um, how you feel connected to your job's purpose. Uh, Third is growth and development. Fourth is flexibility. Fifth is working with great people and a great team. And lastly is kind of what we call total rewards, what's the total upside. And so if you look at those six factors, um, thinking about what the right mix is for you and what you're going to prioritize um, should help you think about where you want to improve your career. Um, and so I always I like to kick this off with um, a question from a book I read called Designing Your Life. And they ask a beautiful question, which is, uh, what role do you want work to play in your life? And so that if you are honest with yourself and answer that question, that can really help you figure out what you need to kind of tweak in your career to make yourself happier in 2020. Well, what are some of the answers that you would be saying to that question? Is it, I want my job to just be a job where I go in and get paid and whatever I'm Exactly. Yeah. Uh, there, there are people who, who feel like their job is to change the world, right? Um, and then they, they live and die by their job um, because of the meaning in it. And then there are people that need the paycheck to provide for their family, and they don't want to be checking their email at all hours. They don't want to be spending all hours at work. They want that flexibility. Um, and then everybody has got just a slightly different total mix. And again, some people value more stability. Some people value more um, kind of... Uh, challenges and surprises and and a lot more risk and upside. And so for you, you're just thinking about what the right mix is for you, personally. Let's dive into each of the factors you mentioned. So again, you said this is not in any particular order, Mm -hmm. but the first one, salary. Salary, yeah. So everybody's um, first thing goes to their salary. Like, um, you're not paying, I'm not paid enough. I would love to get a job that pays more. I would love to get a big raise at work, um, which is probably true. And and you hear some of the science, and I'm going to talk about that more, uh, say that money isn't like a, a perfect motivator for everybody, but almost all of us would say, I'd be excited to get more money. Um, that's why you're listening to this show, probably, <laughs> is you like money to some extent. Uh, so I think one thing you want to look at is when you when you feel like you need more money, um, asking yourself, um, in your industry, you can do some research on things like Glassdoor and Indeed and Payscale.com, are you actually underpaid for the job that you're actually doing? Um, and, and so that's a good signal for you to, to just start with, like, are you underpaid? And what we say, they say is if you're underpaid like by about 20%, that is really going to affect your happiness and satisfaction. If you're about within the ballpark, you're usually okay unless you change careers. Or you go work for a company that... 
happens to just pay at the higher end of the spectrum. Uh, and you can find that company, and there'll be some other trade-offs too. And so what we talk about is making sure you understand the value of the job that you're currently doing. And if you have decided that salary is one of your most important things, you might want to research careers where salaries are very high, uh, to keep it really simple in there. Yeah, I've noticed that the full, I mean at the full in particular, people are usually fine with their salary until they learn how much the person next to them is making. So of they'll course. be like, "Oh no, I'm fine. Yeah, I've, I looked online and this is roughly where I fit in, but then I just happened to learn what the person next to me makes and now I'm extremely angry <laughs> right. about it." And and there are times when you could be right. You should be extremely angry, right? If you actually are doing the same job, most um, well-run companies have some kind of audit on that. Um, Counter offers are funny um, when you at, when you go out and you really just take the step and you said I'm going to go do some interviews and see if I can get command a higher salary and you're way off. That means your company has really not put the work into just getting the right comp mix for your role and they're going to lose people, right? And you'll see that in turnover. Uh, and again, in other situations, the the trade off is slightly different. So for that person, if assume you might assume uh, that the other person is uh, not working as hard as you are or they're doing you might not be doing the same job. Uh, there's all kinds of reasons that person next to you, but there, like, I would do some homework to figure out exactly, like, is it that person being paid fairly and you being underpaid, or maybe that person's just overpaid? And it's really hard. We do this in our manager training. You just gotta let that go. Like, if you're paid okay for your job and the other person happens to be overpaid because of some fluke, um, then then it's. Um, we try to help people just let that go. It, it's going to happen. And so I would figure out kind of a little bit more about why you might be paid differently than the other person. Or you could just be doing different jobs. Yeah. I think like one of the criticisms is that uh, as far around pe- keeping salaries confidential is that it's actually to the benefit of your employer that I don't that there is not um, f- a full transparency around what everyone is making. So at companies where they decided to be fully transparent, with the salaries of all their employees, how does that go over? I think it can work if you're doing a very specific, clearly defined job. And very few jobs in knowledge management are in knowledge work are very clearly defined. So you can say makes ten widgets, gets paid this; makes fifty widgets, gets paid that. That that typically will work just fine. If you get to like in charge of strategic decisions. Um, pay is X, in charge of major strategic decisions, right? And that's what you see when you run these salary data. So there's so much subjectivity there that even when um, a company is doing levels, you'll find that there's still some subjectivity in there. Um, and that's where the conflict comes up. Mm-hmm. And, and so if you are all in agreement that the jobs are exactly the same, and they very rarely are, and which is why somewhere in the middle where we're starting to move this way too, um, is to go with salary levels. Some bigger companies will do that and just kind of band the salaries together and kind of show what jobs might be in what band. That's been a mid- little bit more of a typical practice. But what we found is um, you would have to be doing literally the exact same job, and then that's almost the more complex your job is, the more subjective that is, and the more it's been someone's judgment call to decide how much to pay that person. And that's where the disparity shows up. So with the labor market being so tight right now, like unemployment is extremely low. I know us here at The Motley Fool, like we try to be competitive in our pay, but it is getting harder and harder to hire really, really great work. So this seems like it's a good opportunity for the employee to ask for a raise. Absolutely. I, I think it, it's as long as you've done your homework, 
a lot of companies may not be keeping up with the industry trends. Um, and you have to do a lot of work from the HR side to keep up your internal employees with your external employees. So you don't fall behind when you were hired during an off-market where people would just um, take any salary, right? So depend, And you don't want just luck to play a factor there. So you do have to put some metrics in on both. Um, and again, you and if your company isn't doing that, it might benefit you to ask for a raise by doing the research. And the worst thing we've said is, um, what we found is, again, because there's still subjectivity with what you call the job, um, it's open to interpretation and be like, no, I've checked the data and I'm a senior level human resources specialist. Um, that could be true, right? And so you will have to negotiate with whoever your decision maker is on what that is, but make it more about, are you agreeing on what the role is and what the role should be paid? Um, and, and that's where we found have, have been the most productive conversations rather than kind of just knocking back and forth about what senior or super senior, advanced senior level um, graphic designer is, because those tend to really just get into nuance. Mm-hmm. I will add one interesting fact is I went and talked to a company called Hired, which does kind of some a recruiting platform. Um, they said as long as the offers are within 20%, people factor other things, like the other things I'm going to list in the offer. Yeah. When you're off by 20%, again, that's where someone like your HR team should be stepping in and saying, we're not paying correctly. Um, and that's a conversation on the side that we're having with our recruiting team, too. But this is where um, the other factors do play a role. The exact number of people will generally take an offer within 20% if they feel like all the other factors mm-hmm. are there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what the data they've seen with offers and acceptances on their platform. And I thought that was a really helpful data point. Okay, let's move on to the next fulfilling work factor, and that is purpose. Right. So this, um, one of our favorite books um, is by an author named Dan Pink. He's been to The Fool called Drive, which talks about motivation. And there's a, a wonderful YouTube video of his talk that we make all of our new managers watch um, about the role of purpose in motivation. And really... Um, that it's kind of the number one driver over salary rewards or anything else. But most of us see that and say, yeah, but I want more money anyway. Um, <laughs> and, I want to help the world, and, but I'd like to make a lot right. of money doing it. All of us say that. And, and he said, he came back to us and he said, you know, I feel like I buried the lead in that story is you have to pay people enough so they don't feel like they're being paid unfairly to our earlier point. But once you do, that's where purpose kicks in for your role. Um, and, and so I just think that's always such an important point. And you never, we train our managers with the caveat, like no one wants to hear money isn't the most important thing from someone who makes more than them, probably. <laughs> like, no one ever wants to hear that. Um, purpose is more important, right? But we say that. And so, but he also did a great job of defining it how. In, in a variety of ways. So if you are um, a, a nurse, you know the purpose of your job is to take care of people, and it's really clear. Um, but it doesn't also mean that you have to look at your company's mission statement and say, that's me. And so a lot of companies will say, we're a mission-driven company, and they've written some words. And whether that feels like that's you or not, that, that's okay. It doesn't. You don't have to rely on your company to give you a sense of purpose, necessarily. It can, um, but... For you, I think the question you want to ask yourself at the end of the day is, what difference am I making in someone's life um, by being here? And if the answer is zero, um, then that might, again, that might be time to rethink your career. Unless you think your job is purely transactional and you're just there for the money, um, that could be the mix for you. But 
If you are feeling unmotivated at work, I do try to encourage people, don't expect your company to put up a statement and motivate you. Um, I, I think that that's where you want to say, like, is this work meaningful for me? Did I make a difference to somebody? And I always like the framing of um, capital P purpose is like, we are um, making the world smarter, happier, and richer. But maybe a, a small P purpose would be something like, I really helped our team get their get their benefits um, organized today. And, and so either one of those can be motivating for you at work. Um, if, again, if your response to the question is zero, um, you got to weigh in whether that matters to you and whether you want to think about your career. So I think you can reframe that a couple different ways. It doesn't necessarily have to be something written on a, um, a banner somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The next factor that impacts job fulfillment is growth and development. Yeah, so there's lots of ways to talk about this one. Do you feel like you are growing in your career? And I was thinking about our self-selected audience that are doing something right now to make themselves better. Like, you're all out there wanting to do something to develop your brain. So plenty of research, plenty of podcasts in your industry, um, training you could find. I'm not going to talk about that today. What I am going to talk about is feedback. Um, because as a coach, I hear this all the time uh, from 99% of people, which is other people are not good at giving me constructive feedback, and therefore I can't grow. Um, but that's true for pretty much everybody, because there's lots of science that says we're all terrible at, at giving feedback. Um, so there's a couple tips I have for reframing it. Um, which it, One is to just ask for advice instead of feedback. Um, and so what you can do is saying, let's say you want a career where you have more responsibility. So go to your mentor, your boss, and kind of fit in and say, hey, um, what's your advice to me if I want to take on more? Or what's your advice to me to if I wanted to do this differently? Or even after a meeting saying, you know, I'm trying to run that meeting a little bit better. How did that go for you? Do you have advice for me? Um, people will open right up and they will give you all the constructive feedback you want. On the flip side, if you say, do you have any feedback for me? People feedback. Like, oh, God, now dun, I got to crit it. I got to do the feedback sandwich and I have to yeah. think of something nice to say about you too. And like people just do not want, like we all, our brains are just not designed for um, giving and receiving feedback. So you have to have some hacks. And that was my favorite hack that I learned is ask for advice, not feedback from your coworkers and your stakeholders. Let's move on and talk about flexibility, flexibility. in the workplace. Uh, and again, this is one where you are going to weigh how important this is to you. Um, no job out there is top paying, has perfect flexibility, and perfectly aligned with your purpose. So weighing what this means to you in your job, um, you could be, uh, if you're an ER doctor, you're not going to have as much flexibility unless, or if you're um, an HR manager or something like that. So your flexibility is going to vary based on the career that you chose um, and how important that is to you. And so Putting all that together, again, are you in the right career in your company, that's where you can start making some tweaks. Um, and we've talked a lot about your company, your boss might be different. Um, so we always give advice to say to people, um, test things out, right? And saying to your boss or your team, like, I'm going to test out working from home on Wednesdays. Um, and, and just trying new things. Or maybe you want to shift your schedule a little bit where you come in earlier and leave earlier. Um, just this could be time where you try those things out or you decide, again, is it time for me to change jobs or careers because this flexibility isn't working for me? Or am I willing to accept the last lack of flexibility because of all the other perks um, that I like? So that matters. Um, so the tip I give here is I, I read this somewhere and we tested it out. One group did work from home Wednesdays because I heard that actually goes over easier than Fridays because that feels like a three-day weekend. Um, but a Wednesday means you never have to do your commute more than twice in a row. Uh, so work from home Wednesdays was, was a kind of a life hack tip. 
that I got in there. Yeah, one nice thing about working at The Fool is that we have a lot of flexibility mm-hmm. around when we need mm-hmm. to have our tuchuses in the chair. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really gets at that idea of um, how much feeling like you have control of your yes. life leads to your happiness. Yes. Um, I found, personally. like Things can get chaotic, but I don't have to worry yes. about you know whether or not my boss is like looking at her watch being like you were 5 minutes late today and i don't know it just adds to that sense of control and not all of our but, listeners are in that situation but again it could be a trade off of their job like you might have to be there to open the ice cream stand that day you know because you open at 9 o'clock. so you're making that trade off because you like running that ice cream stand so uh, that's okay but just thinking about where you can tweak stuff yeah all right next factor great people great people so um, the workplace is social for everybody uh, it's important to work with people that you get along really well with. It's obviously one of our favorite things about The Fool. Um, but I, I think, um, so the life hack I have here is about gratitude. We talk about that all the time here. It's it's great for you, and it's great for building relationships. So the take-home tip here is um, to build good relationships. If you find that you just aren't working well with your coworkers, you're not clicking with them, um, I would test out um, sending putting on your calendar every day for 21 days to send someone a thank you uh, for what they did. And that is going to build your relationship with them um, and forcing yourself to do it. Uh, and, and again, whether what comes naturally is writing an email or sending a handwritten note or just saying so. Um, and here's the, the formula that is apparently the most effective way to give recognition, which is to say, I saw what you did, which means just acknowledge other people's work. And that goes back to purpose. That gives them a sense of like, what difference did you just make? Um, and then here's why it mattered, right? So you can kind of expand on why that person did something to improve your life. Um, and then here's what that says about you. And what they found is when you tell a person who they are, they'll believe you, (laughs) um, in a positive way. When you say, um, Allison, you're so good at following up on things. Allison is now considering herself someone who's good at following up on things. And guess what? Allison's going to be even better at following up on things. Um, so that is kind of the the life hack to improve your relationships at work. If you find that that's something that's not working for you right now. Um, my other book recommendation there is called How to Have a Good Day by Carolyn Webb. She uses a lot of brain science to explain why we all are just going around at work protecting our egos. Um, so she has plenty of hacks in there. There's a wonderful chapter about just how to deal with like difficult people in meetings. Um, but I, I think I, I loved her her science about just building those relationships. It's going to make you happier, but it's just going to make work go better. Um, even if you work with a bunch of terrible people, if you just can put some effort into showing some gratitude towards them, it might warm things up a little bit. Or again, it could be time to look for a new job. If it's really that bad. <laughs> you're like, that's always on the <laughs> or, table too. Or again, maybe you're just the type of person to be like, I'm just here for the money, right? But you could be, but that's the path you're choosing. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Earlier today, I posted on Slack a file I found, which was the org chart <laughs> for the Motley Fool in April of 2000. So at that point, I'd been at the Fool for six months. And I was reminded that I was a copy editor back then. Oh, my gosh. Um, that was not my life goal. What I, what I knew was I wanted to work at the Motley Fool, and I was going to get my foot in the door any way possible. And once I got in, I was going to launch my writing career. I mean, I, that was my intention. So what's yeah. your take on that? Instead of thinking, like, oh, this is the job I want. These are the people I want to be around. This is the company I want to work for. Start there. Get in however you can. Yes. Uh, so without knowing it, you did a couple of these, this audit, right? You chose purpose. You joined a company that you believed in. Uh, you chose growth and development. You wanted to learn. And you chose people. 
right? These are the people I want to be around. And, and so when you were doing your kind of unconscious calculus about how to choose this job, those were the factors um, in your work that you were selecting right there. Oh, I wonder what I chose. I think I chose getting the job here. Great people. Uh, I chose flexibility because yeah. I wanted to be able to walk to work. Absolutely. And I didn't have to take, I was so sick of taking the metro. Um, I think I chose great people and flexibility and probably a little bit of purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Rick, what did you choose when you first got the job here? I can't remember that. You are celebrating your 20th anniversary yes. in like five seconds here. Like, oh what? Oh my gosh. Flexibility, absolutely. Mm. People and um, salary, but that hasn't come through. So, oh. <laughs> you chose purpose. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the last factor you wanted to talk about, and that was total rewards. Total rewards, and so that can be again where you are in your career. Um, you you might feel like there should be some upside, like when the company's winning, you're winning. And so uh, is there is there a outcome for you? Is it stock? Is it bonuses? Is it great benefits for you and your family? Is it tuition reimbursement? Um, and so this is also a time for you to look at, maybe your salary is just okay, but you've got all these other perks. And, and that's where it's a good time to just look at overall what your company is offering you and, and taking full advantage of, of all those benefits and perks available to you. So, what's your take on the ability for people within a company to improve benefits? Like here at the Motley Fool, we're a special place. Um, so, th- there are instances of people banding together to improve things. The example being one being the 401k, yes. or people just saying, like, hey, can we have a class on this or can we do this? What's your take on that? Is it is it something that you've seen a lot in your career at other companies where people have the ability to influence benefits? I think you're probably, I'm not sure exactly out there, but again, in a tight job market, this is where you kind of can leverage your recruiting team too. Um, and so your decision makers and your stakeholders, they're probably, when they're in a situation when they're really trying to hire um, and they've got a limited budget, that's where you can try and start asking for different type of benefits instead. A lot of benefits, you'll know this better than me, have um, better tax benefits for the business than giving people just extra salary. So you can you can do some research and make those cases. Things like tuition reimbursement and 401k and um, commuting benefits and things like that. Those tend to be more tax advantageous to the company. Um, and so you can usually make that case. And, and again, when you have hiring managers that are starting to lose candidates and and the comp pool is tied up in budget somewhere else, that's where you can you may be able to leverage some of that. What's what's the competitive pool out there? And be like, oh, five people just turned on our offer because the other company is offering dog walking services. Right, dog walking services are pretty cheap, uh, and so uh, that's a way you to say, hey, we want to sell this benefit. And so those are some examples. All right, so. Kara, you are challenging our listeners to kind of think about answering the question, what role do you want work to play in your life? And so you've given us six factors, salary, purpose, growth and development, flexibility, great people, and total rewards. How should they kind of score themselves? I I would give yourself kind of a a little scorecard. So take those and rank yourself. Be honest with yourself. How important are they really to you? What's the right mix for you? What's the right prioritization for you? And give yourself a little score. And then rank yourself about where you are in all of those. And again, hopefully we've offered you a couple of life hacks to improve some of those in the situation you're in. 
Um, if you're way off, it could be time to do some self-reflection about a career change or a job change. Um, but I would start there. So just because you're spending so much of your time at work, um, we could help improve your life a little bit just by improving one of those factors that's more important to you. Yeah. And I promise this episode has not just been a whole advertisement about working at The Motley Fool, but we are hiring <laughs> a lot lately. So if any of our listeners are curious, um, they can head to careers.fool.com to learn about all the open positions that we have, because we are a pretty awesome place we to work. We are pretty awesome. Kara, thank you thank so you. much. Uh, would you like to stick around and play a little game of Would You Rather? Sure. Okay, you don't have a choice. Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Motley Fool Answers. The new year is about growth and change, and we here at The Motley Fool sure know a little something about growth as we ramp up hiring, yeah. as I talked about. If you're a business owner looking to grow your business, LinkedIn can help you find the right hires that can set you up for a strong year. We use LinkedIn Jobs here at The Motley Fool to help us find the right candidate. So why is it so great? Well, LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with the hard and soft skills you're looking for, so you can hire the right person fast. Skills like collaboration, creativity, adaptability. LinkedIn looks beyond the work skills and puts your job post in front of qualified candidates who match your business requirements perfectly. Find the right person for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. Get the first $50 off. Just visit linkedin.com slash fool. That's linkedin.com slash fool to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. On Mondays, I never go to work. On Tuesdays, I stay at home. On Wednesdays, I never feel inclined. Work is the last thing on my mind. Okay, let's play a game of Would You Rather, and Rick, you're welcome to play. And this is definitely a game where everyone's a winner, because okay. it's not like you keep points for this. So, these are all jobs, very weird, random jobs, pulled from a list from Undercover Recruiter. So, you get to decide which job you would rather take. Are you ready? All right, would you rather be a professional sleeper or a full-time Netflix watcher? I'll explain the jobs a little bit more here Thank for you. you. So. <laughs> Professional sleeper. So, a Finnish hotel has a member of staff who is a professional sleeper that sleeps in different beds of the hotel every night and writes a review of the experience. Or would you rather be a Netflix watcher where you're employed by Netflix and you watch content all day long and review and assign the program the appropriate tag to help viewers find content? Oh, man. I might go with professional sleeper on there. Because I, I, there's some not so great content out there, and well, but yeah, yeah, but yeah, that, that's kind of where I'm at. Well, so in isolation, I love the sleeper one too. I would miss my family. So practically speaking, <laughs> sleeping at the Finnish hotel. <laughs> yes, unless they could all join me, not in the same bed. But uh, so then I would go with the Netflix, and during the really boring shows, that's the time to well, I don't know, get some exercise done, yeah, start cooking true. some dinner, cutting the vegetables. Yeah. So you're saying that Netflix is your family? <laughs> I was like, I could do that during the day and still have my family at night. Yeah, I think that sleeping sounds attractive for about a week, and then I would be like, I can't do this anymore. So I'd go with the Netflix watching. Oh, I'd go sleeping all day yeah. long. I love sleep so much. All right, next question. <laughs> a train pusher or a professional mourner? So in Japan, you could have the job of being an Oshia, which is the person who physically pushes and crams as many people as possible onto the commuter trains. I've seen that, yeah. Or would you rather be a professional mourner? It's an ancient practice that was first mentioned in the New York Times in as early as 1877. And it's a person that gets hired to go to a funeral and weep and cry loudly. <laughs> it's supposed to help the departed person uh, 
more easily head into the afterlife. Both of these sound terrible. I've heard studies that say that, like, if you're feeling sad, like, if you force yourself to physically smile, it actually makes you happier. Like, you know, that's like a thing about the physiology. So I would imagine the opposite is also true. So that sounds miserable to be a professional mourner. I'd rather shove people into trees. (laughs) I'm so averse to the shoving people part. I'm like, oh, man, I guess i got to go with mourner. (laughs) I played football in high school, so I'm going with shoving people. You're going with shoving? (sighs) Maybe these two jobs could be taken in conjunction. You mourn for a while, you shove for a while, you mourn for a while, you shove for a while. Yeah. That's shorner. I think I, oh man, this is a tough one. I think I would have to be a mourner because you can at least like keep to yourself and just kind of wail and cry every then as opposed to actually physically touching a bunch of other people. (laughs) Scrolling through your phone, mourning. Uh, (laughs) All right. Uh, Also, fun little fact there was a company in UK called Rent a Mourner and they shut down just last March. And from their website, it said, We're going to miss you all, even the trolls and pranksters. Oh. <laughs> I would love to know what pranks were pulled sending professional <laughs> mourners places. So good. All right. Snake milker or dog food taster? So snake milkers collect the venom from poisonous snakes to make anti-venoms and other medications. Or you could taste test dog food, including tinned meat and biscuits, to compare the flavor and, yes, texture to the rival brands. I am a wimp when it comes to food, so I gotta go. I gotta go with the snakes. And I'm a wimp when it comes to snakes, so I gotta go with the food. (laughs) There's a job for everyone. Bring on the snakes. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I, I hate snakes more. I hate snakes so much, but I would still rather milk a snake than eat dog food and dog biscuits. Oh, that's a rough one. That said, who knows really how different that food is compared to whatever else we're already eating. Mm. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Can't you hire like two-year-olds to do the dog food tasting? Because they do it anyway. <laughs> I don't know. Let's just keep our current jobs. How about yeah, that? Yeah. Sounds good to me. All right. Kara, thank you so thank much you. for joining us good on times. the show today. You're the best. Thank you. That was fun. Come back again. Yes, please. Well, that's the show. It's edited hardworkingly by Rick Engdahl. <laughs> our email is answers at fool.com. For Robert Brokamp, <laughs> I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. Stay foolish, everybody.